Welcome to Greenfluence, the podcast that brings you the latest in sustainability, responsible investing and climate change. I'm Sarah, your podcast editor, and in this episode, we hear from Tamara Kiarath as she chats with your hosts, Vis and Maya. Tamara is the Principal Commercial for Hydrogen at Fortescue Future Industries and the Director at the Coalition for Conservation. She has a strong passion for renewable energy in the hydrogen and climate change space. Get keen to hear about all there is to know about green hydrogen and the many other colours in the hydrogen rainbow. A lot of us in Australia, uh, I guess, understand that the primary resource sector and utility sector is, is changing quite rapidly and definitely one to watch. And... Um, so I guess your role is a principal, it's a principal commercial specializing in hydrogen at, at Fortescue, at, at the Fortescue Group. Um, this is a very interesting industry to a lot of people. So um, would it be all right if you give a quick understanding about how you got to where you are and your journey in this field? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my journey has been quite a winding one, um, as I think a lot of careers are. Um, I started out as a lawyer in private practice about 13 years ago now. And when I started out, I actually had no idea what I wanted to specialise in. Uh, so I just started by trying absolutely everything. Um, then not far into it, a couple of years into it, I was drawn towards mining law, actually. Um, the, the scale of mining, the budgets, the ability to be part of something so much bigger, these, these huge global transactions um, was really attractive to me. Uh, so I moved into in-house counsel roles from there and um, then actually even performed a whole lot of site-based roles. Um, I always think even to this day, it's, it's so important when you're in any role that has a practical application that you, you've got a real world understanding of that, that you're not just sitting behind a desk and, and trying to make decisions that impact the other end. Um, so I really enjoyed my time on site. Um, and then I joined Fortescue as um, part of the legal team uh, within their iron ore business um, in 2018 as a, an in-house counsel, um, as a legal role. And uh, back then, it would have been the start of 2019, uh, Fortescue was just starting to establish a um, very small hydrogen team. There were three members to the team at that point. Uh, was almost a, a bit of an R&D style function uh, within the, the greater iron ore business. Um, and I really got to know what, um, I, up until that point, I didn't have a great understanding of, of what hydrogen was uh, beyond, you know, obviously the, the basic chemical compositions, but what its potential was. Um, and, and through that, I was very fortunate. Uh, one of the people I was working with, um, Dr. Michael Dolan, uh, who is still with Fortescue, with Fortescue Future Industries, is one of our directors. Um, he's one of the leading authorities on, on hydrogen in Australia. Um, and, and through that work, I learned so much about the potential that hydrogen has, that green hydrogen has um, as a renewable energy source um, globally. And, um, yeah, I, I started working. I asked if I could um, be dedicated to that team as legal counsel supporting hydrogen, um, which was great fun. Um, any budding lawyers out there uh, will know that uh, the, the hydrogen, um, the law around hydrogen is very, very new. Um, so it was really good to be a part of that. 
Um, and I became the fourth member of Fort Excuse Hydrogen team. We're now somewhere over 500 members strong, so it's grown a lot in a couple of years. And uh, as, as we work through it, um, law is, is a fantastic supportive function, but I found myself really wanting to be um, more at the, the strategy end of the deals. Uh, so I moved into uh, commercial management in early 2019 um, into a newly formed role in a brand new team. And that's where I am at the moment. So interesting how you said you got into mining law and then made that transition into renewable into, into renewable energy. And during that time, of course, um, Australia, like I guess we've realized that Australia has such a potential in the space. And again, like that point about green hydrogen, which we'll talk about later, is just so interesting because I recently found out there are various ways of producing hydrogen. <laughs> I'm very interested as to like how law links to the topic of environmental, I guess, sustainability. And I guess, like, how did your law background spark that interest in renewables? Law is a, a critical part to pretty much most parts and, and, and processes. Uh, any type of major industry has a, a necessary legal function behind it. And law also equips you with a really great uh, way of, of looking at a situation um, and problem solving, what could go right, what could go wrong, and how to make um, different things go in the direction that you want them to. I think my, my legal background equipped me very well for that. From a, a practical day-to-day -day perspective, um, in my current role, it changes every day. No two days are, are literally the same. Um, but I go from uh, negotiating with um, and working with native title groups one day um, through to government bodies the very next day uh, discussing, you know, the, the regulations and trying to be um, a, a part of the solution uh, for as the governments start to stand up, both state and federal legislation um, to support these new industries and then the next day you're dealing with um, engineers who are trying to make the project happen and uh, the type of contracts and uh, discussions and, and commercial variables that, that they're dealing with. So having that legal background really helps in all of those style discussions and, and the dozens of others that I haven't gotten into um, that, that can be part of a role like this. Yeah, I, I think that's super interesting because like I've read quite a few articles about how um, a lot of companies are, you know, like, I guess, getting the services of lawyers, things like that. And, and the idea of some sort of litigation risk has become like a huge factor for so many companies. So obviously, I feel like your role is obviously quite different to a traditional sort of legal background. Um, and you mentioned like how the team has grown so much over, grown so much over time. So I know you've touched on this before, but um, what like made you want to change like from that traditional, I guess, law path that would be quite established? I wanted to be part of making a change in something bigger and something different. I think it's a really unique opportunity uh, that, that we have as a generation uh, for this type of change. Uh, the What is now a, a global energy transition um, on this scale, energy is used by almost everybody on the planet and we're looking at transitioning um, from, from fossil fuels as being the, the dominant source um, into a, a major driver at, at all levels of government, all levels of, of um, the corporate sector all around the world, uh, into, into renewable sources. That's a massive change that uh, personally I don't think we've really seen since probably the Industrial Revolution. Like we're, It's significant and um, I'm very passionate about the environment and passionate about um, our planet and 
even uh, that aside, just from a, a commercial perspective, uh, being part of such an enormous change like that was just something I couldn't pass up. So let's now move into the topics around Fortescue Future Industries. And Fortescue, as many listeners know, is one of the largest iron ore companies listed on the ASX. But what most listeners don't know is how Fortescue Future Industries started. So could you please expand on what you do and also how did this division originate? Fortescue is a global leader in iron ore production. I think um, I'd have to check, but I'm pretty sure that we're actually the third largest largest producer um, of iron ore globally, which is um, amazing. Um, As a company, we're 18 years old, so we're very young to have that title. Um, and that's been driven by um, the vision of our chairman, Dr. Andrew Forrest, uh, who has um, created an enormously successful um, iron ore company. And it was also under uh, Dr. Forrest's vision um, for change that Fortescue Future Industries was born. Um, so it's something that has, has been his brainchild and his passion um, for quite a while. And um, as I touched on earlier, uh, we started with a very, very small um, hydrogen team, uh, which had the, the goal of um, investigating um, if change was possible uh, back in 2018, 2019. And uh, as uh, the, that team grew to be more successful and also as the uh, global need for change has, um, has increased, um, over those coming years, then uh, so has FFI, as we call it. Such an interesting way that you know Dr. Forrest has looked at this to actually go and invest in people and really put money into this very speculative area of innovation. Absolutely love just listening to his lectures, and I know that they're quite controversial for some people. But Dr. Forrest has an audacious goal to produce 15 million tons of green hydrogen a year by 2030. Um, and so for the listeners that haven't you know, heard about Dr. Forrest or seen some of his lectures, why is FFI focused on green hydrogen as the future of the energy industry? Well, it really comes down to the goals of the, the Paris Agreement, I guess, which um, underpin our outline uh, what the world needs to do to create meaningful change um, before it's too late. Uh, and for us and in uh, Fortescue, Interpreting that, uh, we believe that the broader energy transition needs to happen much more quickly than 2050, which um, are the timeframes under that Paris Agreement. Uh, we really believe that that transition needs to begin now um, uh, with, with quite a bit of force. We, uh, we being Fortescue Future Industries, are very focused on green hydrogen as being the only hydrogen solution. Uh, you touched on the different colours of the rainbow of hydrogen, which there are. Um, blue, grey, brown, pink, um, all sorts. But green is the only hydrogen um, being coming entirely out of renewable um, energy, uh, which has no carbon footprint, and that's what the world needs. We don't need to be focusing on a grey hydrogen or a blue or a brown solution, um, which still is essentially producing carbon. If we're moving away from one carbon energy source, we need to be moving to a clean source. Um, so we believe green hydrogen is is the practical and uh, the implementable solution um, that can really revolutionise how we power our planet. Um, and it can do that through firstly decarbonising heavy industry and also creating jobs globally. Um, at the same time, 
Um, it's, it is the creation of a whole new energy platform. At, at Fortescue, our vision is to create green hydrogen and make it the most globally traded seaborne energy commodity in the world. And if you think about what that means, um, surpassing natural gas, certainly surpassing coal, um, it's, it's a major target and uh, we believe it's a very realistic one. Our goal is to become the world's leading future fully renewable energy and green products company. I'm very interested as to why FFI is choosing to invest and produce green hydrogen as opposed to other renewable energies such as solar and wind, because from what I've heard, Australia also does have a competitive advantage in solar energy. So why, like, I guess, why green hydrogen? Solar and wind is a really important part of green hydrogen. Okay. Uh, so, uh, so it's uh, the answer is um, solar and wind is a, a huge part um, of solving the problem. So, green hydrogen is the the, the production of hydrogen um, through the electrolysis method um, using an energy input which is from renewable energy. So, that renewable energy can be from um, solar, can be from wind, can be from hydropower. Um, can be from geothermal power. It's it's any source of energy of, and it's quite a large input of energy that doesn't have a carbon footprint. Um, we then put that through um, the, the electrolysis cycle, and that then creates hydrogen at the other end. So the differential when you're talking about uh, the colours of the rainbow hydrogen, as I call them, um, yeah. pink hydrogen, which is produced through um, nuclear being the oh, energy right. input. Um, Grey is produced through um, gas as the input, or blue rather, depending on the volume that you're putting in there. You're using an energy source at one end, which can or cannot, depending if it's green or not, um, have a carbon emission to then create your end byproduct, uh, your end product of hydrogen. So the hydrogen production, the actual colour of the, the product doesn't change. Um, we we call them the different names, the different colours uh, to differentiate what the um, the energy input is yeah. and whether or not that energy input is clean. Solar and wind is um, a massive part of Fortescue's focus as being, um, along with hydropower, along with all sorts of different inputs, um, but as being that um, that energy input to um, to give us our green hydrogen product. So the future of, for example, energy production would be the existing, let's say, wind and solar farms, but then using that energy to... Uh, create hydrogen and then even ammonia to export that to other Absolutely. countries around the world. Absolutely. And then, um, so it's exactly that. It's having um, the wind farms, the hydropower facilities, um, whatever energy input you're having, um, put, funneling that energy back into a hydrogen production facility to create the hydrogen and then choosing your hydrogen product. So there's ammonia, as you touched on there, Maya, is, is a really good one. Um, liquid hydrogen is um, probably the highest carrier of hydrogen um, per density, but it's another product. It's um, got its own challenges in shipping and these sort of things. Um, and then there's a third one, which is quite popular, called MCH, which is methyl cyclohexene, um, which has quite a low amount of hydrogen that it actually carries per density, uh, but it's very easy to ship and acts rather like, um, like diesel, actually. When we're talking about... The production of hydrogen and all these hydrogen derivatives. Could you tell us a bit more about the technology that you are designing or implementing um, to make the production of green hydrogen commercially viable? At FFI, we believe um, the major steel as well as truck, train, ship and mobile plant industries um, can all be operated with renewable, environmentally friendly energy 
um, and we're on track to do that. We, we've chosen those industries because they are such heavy emitting industries um, of fossil fuels at the moment and large consumers of, of diesel traditionally. Um, so within FFI, uh, we have um, a specialist green team um, and they've been successful in, in testing the combustion of ammonia um, actually in a locomotive fuel. So in, as you um, can imagine, all through WA, um, we use trains to transport our ore. Um, so uh, over very long distances with very, very heavy loads. So they're a large consumer. So we're looking at transitioning that um, into ammonia combusting um, locomotives. And that again, that's a pathway to achieve um, completely renewable green fuel. Uh, we've also completed the design and construction um, of a combustion testing device for large ship engines. So for the purpose of shipping, um, and there's pilot um, test work with that underway. Again, shipping is a, is a major consumer of, um, of diesel. Um, also, the team has finalised the design for a next generation ore carrier. So you would have seen the, the ore carriers, again, are the ships uh, that carry uh, the actual iron ore um, overseas. And they're enormous, enormous ships uh, which take great payloads and, again, um, at present, uh, consume huge amounts of, of fossil fuels. Um, so we're looking at transitioning those into green ammonia and we've been successful in testing battery cells um, to be used on Fortescue haul trucks as well. So it's it's right across the spectrum. Um, Hydrogen-powered haul trucks, um, uh, so the 400-tonne haul trucks currently used for hauling iron ore around site that you would have seen. Um, they're massive trucks. When you stand next to them, um, your head will come up to about midway on the hubcap. <laughs> they are huge. Um, and at the moment, they're powered by diesel and they're running on um, mine sites all around the world. So we're transitioning that to being hydrogen powered, likewise with um, drill rigs on site, um, et cetera. The list goes on. So we're, we're really proud of these projects and we believe that they're going to make a massive contribution towards reducing the world's carbon footprint. So it sounds like there's a lot of use cases for um, you know, hydrogen derivatives as well. I was just wondering if you also see, you know, hydrogen being used within residential settings or in cities. Categorically, absolutely. We target heavy industry first and foremost because it's the, they're the largest um, emitters. Um, and also because they've got the, the greatest capability um, for sustainable change um, up front. But um, on a totally different scale, um, having hydrogen uh, potentially being able to be put through the grid, um, put through the pipelines and used in, um, in residential and domestic application, uh, both within our homes and our businesses, um, also our cars, uh, is, is definitely something we believe strongly in. Um, in fact, there's uh, one of um, Fortescue's many projects, one of the first projects I was involved in, um, is a little joint venture that we're running in Perth, or not so little actually, a good joint venture we have in Perth uh, that has 15 um, Toyota Mirai cars uh, that we have that are just passenger cars. Uh, they look a lot like, um, a bit like a Prius actually, and there's no exhaust pipe on them. And we have a, um, a service station set up, uh, which is a, a hydrogen refueling facility where an electrolyzer generates the hydrogen and the cars, um, which at the moment are, are used privately, um, drive in, fill up at the bowser just like they would um, with petrol, except they're filling up with hydrogen, and off they go, um, quiet as a mouse, and uh, they get fantastic mileage from them. And uh, the only byproduct is you actually get a glass of water at the end of your journey um, rather than exhaust. 
but they're, um, I've been in them. They're very cool cars and uh, they can certainly be rolled out um, at scale. It'd be really cool in the future if instead of putting diesel or other fuel, you actually put hydrogen in your car. I think the really interesting point you also brought up was how you are really assisting the heavy emitting industries, ones with large scale, because obviously they are some of the some of the biggest emitters. And I think mm-hmm. like if we can assist them in that process and make it scalable, things like that, like that goes a long way to um, reducing emissions and helping companies uh, achieve the net zero goals for 2050, which has been like a huge topic um, at COP26, things like that. And I guess speaking of COP26, um, it really links to the fact that I guess climate and politics are very much linked together. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and of course, Tamara, you are involved in the Coalition for Conservation. Um, can you please tell us a little bit more about your involvement in the organisation and also its vision? I've been um, the WA Director for the Coalition for Conservation uh, for a little bit over 18 months now. Um, so C4C, as we call it, uh, its primary role is to engage with policymakers um, at both federal and state level um, and build really strong bipartisan support um, in actions that are required to address climate change. Um, and we're trying to do that in a way that is commercially responsible and sustainable. My role within that in WA um, has been uh, gaining um, some support, as a good support base here, and starting to engage uh, with those policymakers um, uh, at both a federal and a state level. When you interact with these policymakers, have you found um, they are, I guess, quite receptive to your ideas? Like, what has been the main sort of agenda and what has been the main sort of topics that they would like to discuss? Yes, is the short answer. They're extremely receptive um, by and large. Uh, I think you would would have to have been living under a proverbial rock to um, not know that uh, the the need for net zero um, is a priority for all of us and that priority exists irrespective um, of of which uh, political inclination uh, you might hold. Um, which is, you know, it's it's quite to say, but it really is um, the, the energy transition can't be a political pawn. It needs to be something that we're all getting behind. Um, and the, the methodology that uh, the different sides may uh, prioritise uh, on that path may differ, um, but the end goal really needs to be the same. Um, to answer your question, what, are, what is the main feedback that we get is uh, the policymakers um, are extremely keen to adopt and they want to know how. Yeah. They want to know, uh, get a better understanding, um, have a level of literacy, I guess you could call it, um, in climate change, in net zero, in renewable energy, um, and what is um, sorting out the wheat from the chaff, what is uh, viable alternatives, what is viable policy, um, and what is going to hurt their voters and constituents. Two key things that I got from there was um, the idea of us all getting behind, like making sure that in terms of our policy, like all, like all different parties are on the same page regarding what Australia needs to do. Um, mm. And the other thing is about yeah, the climate change education piece, like ensuring that these people um, have a good fundamental understanding so they can serve the community as well. Going back to that idea of COP26, from someone observing it from here, it was quite clear that Australia, um, I guess, there hasn't been a general consensus on the climate policy. What policy challenges have you observed and how does that affect your FFI operations? Because um, I would guess what you guys do at Fortescue would be highly influenced by the choices governments make. Fortescue very strongly believes that um, you know governments around the world can't 
combat climate change uh, alone. It, um, it needs to be a combination of uh, government, the private sector and civil society all working together. Um, there has to be collaboration uh, in order for there to be success for a challenge of this scale. Um, and that includes private investment um, and philanthropy certainly have a role um, in accelerating that change. Um, and industry will lead the transition often faster than, than governments necessarily can. Um, it really does come down to having access to funding um, and a clear path to action. So as the law, as I, I touched on at, at the beginning, um, as the law tries to catch up and evolve, I guess, um, to keep up with, with the pace of change, um, it's really important that we have that clear and official, efficient approvals pathway um, for our projects. Uh, it's really needed to support um, investment in major projects, first and foremost, and to ensure that we're capitalising on the opportunities presented by renewable energy. Uh, we do want and need governments around the world to seriously consider diverting um, investment uh, to green hydrogen projects. Um, that's really, really important. And uh, absolutely at this early stage um, of the market and industry creation, which is essentially what it is, it's, it's creation of a whole new industry, um, the actions of government um, and the signals that they are sending are really, really critical. With the Australian government, I think the general focus has been on technology, not taxes. I've, I've heard mm -hmm. uh, Scott Morrison say that a fair bit. So um, definitely really hope that there's like a huge level of investment and towards these more green technologies. And it'd be very interesting. Um, and I guess like that whole idea of climate policy, um, I think generally how a lot of people think of it, it's sort of like a zero sum game, like there are winners, there are losers. Like I've heard in the coal industry, like if we shut that down, then there'll be a huge economic impact. So do you think there is a zero sum game in climate policy or can there, can all organisations or groups actually benefit in some way? Yeah, absolutely the latter. Um, no, I definitely don't think it's a zero-sum game. Mm. Uh, there don't have to be any losers if the energy transition is done in a responsible um, and sustainable way. So you, you touched on the, the potential loss of jobs. There's also an enormous potential for the creation of jobs um, through this is the creation of a new industry. And it's um, the announcement, uh, Fortescue's made several announcements um, that uh, so far I think um, Gladstone alone um, supports thousands of regional and remote jobs um, in an area that would often um, support other industries. So um, hydrogen as an industry, as this new vibrant industry, has the potential to be a multi-billion dollar industry um, that all Australians can benefit from. And um, as part of that, in, in creating this, this new industry, it will have potential for all different types of workers and supportive businesses, both directly and indirectly. Um, by their nature, many renewable energy projects are based in regional and rural areas. Um, so these opportunities aren't even confined uh, to, to metropolitan um, regions, even though there's, there's opportunities there as well. And definitely diversifying our Australian you know, market and skills and no longer just exporting you know, iron ore, the traditional um, you know, coal, but we're really going to be leading the charge, I hope. And that's yeah, taking we should be. <laughs> of what resources we have. Exactly. So we'd love to, you know, really dive deeper into FFI. Uh, we had so many really good questions coming from our community. And I think the first one uh, we wanted to ask about, so Dr. Forrest has a very ambitious um, 
aim of decarbonizing all of Fortescue's operations using green hydrogen energy. Mm -hmm. We've touched on this before, but when you compare it to other companies in the sector like Woodside, who are also trying to transition into producing hydrogen energy, but their focus is on investments in natural gas to produce Mm -hmm. blue hydrogen. So why isn't FFI um, not following suit to transition first to blue hydrogen and then to green hydrogen? We very firmly believe that um, green hydrogen is hydrogen from renewable energy and that is the only way of the future if we're talking about having a clean green solution. So necessarily blue and grey hydrogen, uh, producing hydrogen out of natural gas, uh, does require fossil fuels to produce that hydrogen and that fossil fuel has to go somewhere. Um, whether that is sequestered um, or, or put into credits or et cetera, um, to us, even though it's pleasing to see the ongoing announcement of hydrogen projects um, from, from the likes of who you've just touched on, uh, we're disappointed to see that those projects will use fossil fuels to produce the hydrogen associated with them. Um, we're very focused on only uh, aiming towards projects which have no fossil fuels uh, in the production of hydrogen, only green hydrogen. So really, you know, keeping your word and actually saying that this is, you know, we are going to be green and we're going to be doing some good. On the topic of um, the use cases as well, I think what we've discussed before was about uh cost competitiveness and commercial viability. Mm. Um, What sectors do you think green hydrogen has the most potential to be the dominant energy source, considering that at the moment it's very experimental and, you know, the price of other energy is just cheaper? We believe green hydrogen is the fastest way to decarbonise traditionally hard to abate sectors, um, such as heavy haulage, um, shipping and, and heavy industry. Um, where energy alternatives are actually quite difficult. So we think green hydrogen is a really viable alternative. Um, And there's a need to start with the major consumers of fossil fuels and and work out from there. Uh, So heavy industries such as mining and and manufacturing and making that transition sustainable from a cost perspective is absolutely imperative, which is why... There's often a focus on putting pressure on the high margin emitters, such as miners, um, to really lead the way in these transitions. Uh, you may have followed, actually, in the press, Dr. Forrest's comments about uh, removing the, the diesel rebate, suggesting that the diesel rebate um, be removed from only those heavy sectors, from, from mining and heavy industry, um, but not from small business and not from regional farmers, um, which is a great example. It's uh, shifting the impetus and to those in really high margin, heavy emitting industries to give them an incentive um, to increase the speed at which that they prioritise decarbonisation without putting the focus on those who are less able in the short term um, to make that transition. Yeah, so there are definitely push-pull you know, factors that we have to make sure that the other industries don't become more cost competitive. Or Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Going back to... Like, what is the key ingredient here to make green hydrogen commercially viable from a cost perspective? Um, mm. And also, do you think that carbon markets will play a larger role in the future to encourage this transition? 
To answer the first part of your question, uh, in a word, is scale. Um, as the availability of green hydrogen increases globally, costs will decrease. So at the moment, um, it might seem like a very uh, expensive alternative because there isn't an abundance of green hydrogen available in the marketplace. Um, it's not being produced at scale. The electrolyzers required to produce any type of hydrogen um, are not being produced at scale. So as with, with all economics, um, once something uh, goes at a broader scale, then necessarily the costs and the inputs into it can come down and you can achieve um, that commerciality. So we're very, very focused on that, and that's um, such as the announcement um, of the Gladstone um, electrolyzer um, manufacturing facility um, are some of the steps that Fortescue's taking in that direction, but also just the abundance of hydrogen in the marketplace and the, the creation um, of that as a new market uh, will, again, increase the availability, bring down the cost. Do you think, um, because at the moment, the carbon market in Australia is not compulsory. They mm -hmm. do um, some trading and that might, there's an argument that, you know, there needs to be more support in this market to make it more liquid and push you know, up or down the price so that other alternatives can be more viable. Mm -hmm. um, at FFI, do you keep an eye on carbon markets at all or it's just, um, you know, do you think that there will be a new market someday for hydrogen? We're very focused on the production of hydrogen as being the, the, a new market within itself and that that market is a, an energy market. So at the moment, the energy markets are, are dominated, as we know, uh, through, through fossil fuels, and we want to replace that with green hydrogen as being the alternative. Um, and for the application to be successful, it still needs to be in moderately traditional ways, so it still needs to be able to, as Viz touched on, go into your car, go into your homes, um, as well as go into haul trucks in the Pilbara and, and trains and, and ships. So um, that's our focus is on creating hydrogen at scale that can service that type of market. Tomorrow we're going to move to our speed round of questions. So firstly, I think that the topic on a lot of people's minds is, you know, how do we reduce um, a fossil fuel production and, and how do we achieve like our climate targets such as a net zero target, things like that? Well, at the moment, over half of all industrial greenhouse gas emissions in the, the global atmosphere can actually be traced to 25 fossil fuel companies. Um, so that's a great place to start. Uh, globally, we need policy that puts appropriate pressure on these companies to encourage and more so to enable them um, and incentivize them to, to transition towards those, those greener alternatives. Right. And just a quick follow up on that. So you mentioned like how there's like all these massive emitters, like those 25 companies that produce so many, like quite a bit of fossil fuels. Do you think carbon offsets are a sustainable way to go about it in the short term? It depends on where the carbon offset's coming from um, and if it's viable or if it's actually just um, paying, you know, trading across the problem. Uh, so we think that the answer is having uh, an energy source that is clean from the start so no carbon is emitted. So our second question is related to your career and what advice would you give to a young professional who's probably listening about making a career in this new field? Get, the foot, get your foot in the door absolutely anywhere that you can. Uh, don't wait for your dream position or the dream timing. 
Um, my advice would be take any small opportunity that you can and turn it into what you need it to be uh, because it's it's the start of a whole new industry. There are going to be opportunities in so many different fields and most of those opportunities uh, we won't even know about yet. So if you're interested, make sure you're in a position to take them. I think that's really good advice because I think I think the trend these days is, like, is I guess, career paths are not linear. Um, I guess mm. I guess even with your career path, uh, Tamara, I, you've transitioned from law to, um, I guess, more a renewable path. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's really good. And finally, I think all our listeners and viewers would be very keen to hear more. So where can they go and learn more about FFI and Green Hydrogen? The Fortescue Future Industries website is a really good place to start. Um, and you can sign up for our monthly newsletter there, uh, which has some really good information on it, not just on what Fortescue is doing, but on, on hydrogen trends um, around the world. Uh, and if you've got any burning questions that you'd like answered, um, there's a contact form there as well. So um, send them through. Sounds great. We'll be flooded. <laughs> <laughs> we look forward to it. So much fan mail will be coming in. <laughs> But thank you so much, Tamara, for taking the time to speak to us and also to our listeners. This is such an innovative and really interesting field that everyone wants to learn more about. And it's such a privilege to just hear straight from you and about what Fortescue Future Industries is doing. Uh, we definitely need to learn more from you and from what Dr. Forrest is speaking to politicians and to the world about what needs to be done to make this transition possible. And all the things that you've spoken to us about, not only just the technology, but also about your career and what the future is for the people that are in these industries and for Australia is really quite, you know, mind blowing that we're going to be, you know, hopefully the leader in this space. And we feel very positive about this future. Um, So, Thank you so much, Tamara, and we just look forward to having you potentially come back in the future once all these um, innovations come public on the ASX. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, Viz. It's been an absolutely great pleasure speaking with you today. And, um, yeah, I do get very excited about this industry. Uh, The opportunities, as you say, um, are immense. So, yeah, cheers to the future. There we go. How was that? The biggest takeaway from me is that there is real potential in green hydrogen and its ability to help Australia and the world meet those very important, precious net zero targets by 2050. Maybe even before. I also really connected with a comment about how we can take any opportunity and make it what we need it to be. And I've just finished uni and I think I needed to hear that in light of the pressure that I feel to find and follow the perfect plan for the perfect career. I'm left feeling pretty optimistic. I hope you are as well. If you'd like to get in touch with Tamara or FFI, links will be provided in the show notes. The Greenfluence team and I would also really love to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch and become a Greenfluencer, check us out on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Links are in the show notes. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast to stay up to date with the latest episodes.